Welcome back to the youth. My name is Tosh Francois, and today I'm here with um, basically my my great uncle. Would you say? <laughs> basically, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. Andy Atwood. Um, yeah. I don't really know exactly what your occupation is exactly down to the title. So, what would you say it is? I would say it is morphed over time. Okay. Right? Okay. And so... Form of um, therapy. Well, yeah. You know, I started out after college, went to seminary and was uh, and became an ordained minister. Okay. But that was, that was 50 years ago or, you know, whatever now. Yeah. And, um, and then um, basically in my 20s, I went to school, got three master's degrees and a doctorate and... Yeah. And became a licensed marriage and family therapist and started a nonprofit counseling center. And then in 1995, yeah, which is what 25 years ago now, I started working with family-owned businesses. Yeah, and I still work with family-owned businesses. So I, I'm now a, a marriage and family therapist and a kind of an executive coach. Wow, working with businesses and mm-hmm. leaders. It's like occupational and, psych. Yeah, something like that. There's different titles for it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of the old guy in the room now. That's sort of what it is. <laughs> yeah. So I've known you since uh, was before you were born. Before I was born. Yeah. You're like best friends with my grandma. Yeah. It was it was the love of my life. Um, but so I kind of wanted you to just talk about um, what you do and where you are in life and. Um, what would you say? Uh, as we were saying. As we were saying. As we were saying before. I before you cut it off and pause because you had to think about where are we going in yeah, life? Yeah. Where are we going in this podcast? <laughs> there is no destination, I guess. I haven't done one of these in a long time. But I guess we could just talk about like everything going on right now. I mean, we're in a crazy time. We're in a, yeah, we're in a crazy not Yeah. I've lived through some other crazy times. I mean, you know, I'm a survivor of the 60s. Yeah. So, how old are you now? You're 20. You're 20. 20. 19, 18, 20. I was in college. 20. I was a junior. Okay. In college, and that was, that would have been 1968, 9, right in there. Jeez. And it was a... That was um, that was '68, and everybody in my family knows that, and most people that know me know that 1968 was a year that was just horrible. Just sucked for our family. We had a lot of illness in our family, and yeah, and um, and uh, so when I had a sister who got encephalitis that year, five year old, and my brother died of cancer. Wow. He was 17, had testicular cow. cancer, which today is kind of curable, but back yeah. then. So that, all that went on while I was out here at Hope College, and they were all back in New Jersey. Uh, my family was, and um, you know, so it was, and that was. Here's this is an interesting story. So it, when I was in high school, I got by on charm. I could say charm and good looks, but charm, it was just charm, charisma. Yeah, 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 right. You know, I was uh, president of the student body and stuff like I was that too. Yeah, I know you were. <laughs> so. Um, I go to Hope College, and they wanted me to study. Can you believe that? Yeah. They wanted Ridiculous. Me. It was crazy. And I, and I had, uh, God bless him, Art Jens was a, a philosophy professor, and he was my uh, academic advisor, and he loaded me up with biology and Greek and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was, like, totally 
I didn't know what to do. I had a 1.68 at the end of my first semester oh, at Oak College. Yeah. So I'm on academic probation. They let me come back, and um, and I must have pulled it up to like a 2.1 or something. So I stayed. <laughs> but you know, I never could pledge a fraternity or anything like that because yeah. I just didn't have the grades. And um, fraternities aren't too great. Yeah. Well. Yeah, so I I ended up pledging my sophomore year. Oh, and um, so you did join. But then yeah, I did. But that was and then um, what fraternity was it? Was, that was Omicron Kappa Epsilon. It was a fraternal society at Hope College, which was basically a bunch of jocks at that point, and I didn't fit that category either. Yeah. So, um, but then I'm uh, I'm uh, it was. Uh, it was January, February of my sophomore year, and yeah. uh, that's when my sister, five-year-old sister, got encephalitis. She was kind of reduced to a vegetable overnight. Wow. Overnight. And, um, yeah. It happened just within a couple hours, and and um, she ended up spending seven months in the hospital, and and before she got out, my, uh, my brother was diagnosed with testicular cancer, and he was dead in seven months, so that was... Nine, wow. That was... That ended up being all 1968, and of course the Vietnam War was on during that time. Ow. Martin Luther King was, you know, Bobby Kennedy. It was all Jeez. kinds of terrible stuff. Though it was turmoil everywhere, and um, right. somewhere in there, there was it was a transforming moment for me. And I remember, Taj, I, I've told this to so many people. Mm-hmm. I'm coming back from my, oh, this is, I can tell you a funny story, part of this. I go, this would be February of 1969. I go back to New Jersey from Holland, Michigan for my brother's funeral. I don't own a pair of pants. I don't have a jacket. I, I got to get some nice clothes for the funeral. Yeah. So I go to the local <laughs> department store. There weren't any big stores, a local department store, and they're showing bell-bottom pants. Wow. Yeah. I buy a pair of bell-bottom pants, <laughs> do the funeral and all this stuff, and I come back to Hope College, and I was the first guy to show up with bell-bottom pants. No. I was called... He set the trend. Oh, I was called so many names. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was hilarious. And um, and uh, But in the airplane, flying back after my brother's funeral, and um, I'm looking down, um, you know, you're flying over... You know, from from uh, New York to to um, Grand Rapids, I mm-hmm. guess it was. And I'm looking down. I'm thinking, this doesn't. This is the most important thing that's ever happened to me, and doesn't mean a thing to anybody down there. Yeah. And it struck me that this isn't going to mean anything other than what I make it to mean. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in there, something just clicked. One of those transforming moments that happens once in a while in a person's life, where I had a sense of purpose. And I lost some fear and anxiety about what other people thought of me. Yeah. So I Still came back to Hope College and um, quit the fraternity because, really? yep, because they were, they were, you know, we had Vietnam vets coming in and they were putting them through hazing. And I just Jeez. thought this was the stupidest thing I, I could have possibly. Jeez. So um, I ended up going inactive. And then shortly wow. thereafter, a bunch of other people went inactive. And then it was a great big meeting in the basement of the fraternity hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, everybody was there because there was all these guys now going inactive, and there was blah, 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 yeah. all this noise. And I thought a lot of it's being directed at me. And this is really? one, of the, one of the, you know, there's moments in life where you wish, where you say something, you wish you could just suck it right back, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, all the guys are down there, the room's full of testosterone, and I stand up and say, you know, it comes a point in time where you got to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't go over very well. <laughs> but it was the truth. Yeah. It was the truth. And um, so I, I went inactive, and... Um, and then I uh, got real real noisy in the anti-war movement on Hope's campus and really? did a little little back and forth with the president of the college and some really? other people and yeah. And wow. but I ended up graduating with pretty much straight A's going out and honors and awards from the uh, thank you from the president of the college at commencement. So wow. that's turned um, around. Yeah. Well it because um, because some, it was something happened inside of me that just gave me a sense of purpose. I feel like you know, those big coming of age moments always happen. It's where it's some kind of, and we were, we were talking about this a little bit ago. It's when you have an, a moment of enlightenment where you kind of aha, you wake yeah. up to something. Mm-hmm. It's a transforming moment. You know, you're struggling with something. There's a process that you struggle it with. Something. It only comes with struggle. It all, yeah, like. it comes with a struggle, and you're you're trying to solve some kind of problem. Typically, an existential problem. It can be a simple problem, like where did I put my keys? Yeah. And you look around, you scan for solutions mm-hmm. until you finally give up, and then boom, it comes to you. Yeah. And um, so something came to me, and um, and I and I lost some fear and anxiety about. My, what other people thought about me mm-hmm. somewhere right in there and I just started to speak my truth a little bit more and at that point it was coming through the student church at Oak College so when the students were killed at Kent State and and we we closed down the campus and yeah. Jan Your uh, wife. everybody my wife Jan everybody gathered uh, we were dating at that point everybody gathered in Dimna Chapel and there was a thousand people in there or whatever and Jan walked up and quietly lit four candles right there in front of everybody, and I delivered some kind of a message to people. And, really? And, uh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that was, there you go. So, you, um, you know, that's it. So I've had other transforming moments along the way. Yeah. But that was Do you one. think everyone goes through this? Um, and do you think they're necessary? That's do I think, I think people do have transforming moments. I don't know that people honor them as much as they could or should. Like get everything out of it that they Yes, and really um, take time to receive it, reflect upon it, and then respond accordingly. Well, I feel like that goes with what we were talking about earlier about observer-witness. The observer-witness. The observer and the witness. And the witness. And and being mindful. So... Mm -hmm. um, So explain that. All right. So here, there's... um, As we... As we mature, instead of just, it's, it's like the ocean, instead of just swimming in the ocean, you cultivate the ability to obs- witness, to be mindful of, to observe and witness the fact that you're swimming in an ocean. The ocean is your worldview mm-hmm. and the culture that you are in. Yes. And the, well, today we're talking a lot about the implicit racism that's, yes, that's everywhere. And... Um, so the cultivating the mindful observing witnesses is I'm I'm receiving and reflecting on and trying to respond to the events and circumstances that are happening around me and within me, mm-hmm. how they're impacting me, how I'm impacting them, and from out of my mindful observing witness, I'm trying to make conscious choices about how I can function in the world, and so cultivating that mindful observing witness is one of the tasks of maturing 
Yes, 100%. Right? It's Does like the opposite of um, blissful ignorance. What you said. Blissful ignorance or just being reactive. Yeah. Just, you know, stimulus reaction. Mm-hmm. In between there is this moment where you get to make a choice. Yeah. And if you've strengthened your mindfulness and your observing witness, then you can make a choice consciously. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, so that's... We, we need people. And when you can do that, you can lead yourself yeah. and then you can lead other Others, people. Others, yes. Do you know who Jocko Willink is? Who's that? Jocko Willink, okay. He's ex-Navy SEAL commander. He fought in um, the Battle of Ramadi in Iraq in 2006. Oh. And he led... Um, have you seen the movie Lone Survivor? No. Mark Wahlberg? No, don't watch too many. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Have you, have you yeah, seen but I didn't see the movie. No, I don't watch too many. Okay, movies. well, anyways, there's like Chris Kyle. Have you heard the name Chris Kyle? No, I'm kind of ignorant here. You help okay. me out. Help me out. <laughs> Chris Kyle, he was like one of the most famous uh, sharpshooters of all time. I'm pretty sure he had like 67 confirmed kills. Anyways, this dude's commander was Jocko Willink. Okay. And Jocko Willink, once he retired from the Navy... He went on to consult with companies, almost like you do, mm-hmm. and discuss like leadership with um, these higher ups and executives. Yep. And so one of like the most important tools he talks about. I'm reading a book by him uh, right now called Leadership Strategies and Tactics. Okay. And I use this stuff within RTC, and I mean honestly, a military leadership style you can incorporate within all of life. Correct. And he talks about being able to step back observe your situation think about everything going on and then tune back in if you can separate yourself from everybody else and really think about being mindful and right witnessing what you're doing it's such an important psychology and family therapy where i work we talk about the process of becoming a wealthy healthy well differentiated person so Mm -hmm. instead of being enmeshed in in your experience you can differentiate yourself out from your experience and reflect on it. Mm-hmm. So you hit that that moment of quiet where you can make a choice. Yeah. And it's almost meditative, would yeah. you say? Well, and then, but yeah, so we were talking earlier, I'm reading this book here on, uh, on uh, this one right here about how uh, enlightenment changes your brain. And um, so we got neuroscience here that's entering into this whole thing. We know that if you, when you meditate, you're um, learning how to basically focus, right? Mm Because right, you have monkey mind. If you want to meditate on something, your mind jumps all around. You catch yourself. You go back to your breathing or mantra or whatever. You go over your tangents. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and. so we know that if you do that over time, it does change the neurology of the brain. It gives you the capacity to, to pause like that. It does relax you. you know? Yeah. And, um, but beyond that is apparently the, we have the ability to actually um, strengthen those muscles and then somehow stop all that activity. Entirely, and that's where really? apparently big moments of enlightenment can come through. So oh, that's what you're talking about. I'm still, okay. I'm still doing some research on all of that. And um, this book is called yeah, How, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain by uh, Andrew Newberg. Andrew Newberg and Mark Robert Walden. Yep. So, um, you know, it's off and on. There are there are moments of transformation that happen. You've had them happen in your life where there's been sudden breakthroughs. Oh. Right, I mean, I've had plenty of obstacles, mainly. I mean, yeah, like I've had the epiphany, but I would say that definitely struggles I've gotten way more out of than I have. Like just general thinking and like, you know what I'm saying by that? Well, some, yeah, some people 
can um, it seems to be the case that people can um, contemplate or meditate. Oh, I got to turn the speaker off. Turn the bows off you're over good. here. You're good. You're good. And uh, <laughs> uh, that you can cultivate the ability to. Um, I'll just say wisdom. You can gain some wisdom from just kind of living a, a contemplative life where you contemplate a lot of what's going yeah, on in your you life. You have the free time to do so. If you do, yeah. yeah. But it, it also it seems to be the case that we, we have to face some kind of crisis yeah. in life. And and out of that crisis comes moment of a moment of clarity. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Would you say internal is more of an effect on you, if that makes sense? In, 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 like an existential crisis, like... Working on who am I? Yeah. Exactly. How? What do I? How do I respond to these events in life? What are? I mean, and to me, something that directly affects you. Yeah. I I I believe that we get we find ourselves trapped in double binds. Damned if I do and damned if I don't. Yeah. And we can't find a way out. Mm-hmm. And lots of people just kind of numb themselves and run away from those things. I'm fascinated by double binds. Yeah. And. I think you got to get in there and wrestle with them until you can find the third eye, the third option, step up above them somehow and find a way to to um, be pro-life and pro-choice both. Yeah. Wow, you said it. You said it. Yeah. yeah. Is that a big thing? No, yeah, I think that's a huge thing. I mean, well, it divides people what you just said. That's, yeah, they, well, that's either or thinking. Sure, if you get stuck in either or thinking, like the right left. Well, um, yes, we could say right left, and but then we can wander off. But there's a that. whole spectrum. Well, it's it. it is a spectrum. Yes, that's true. But I'm of the school now that's advocating for a post-progressive worldview. Post-progressive. Post-progressive worldview that looks at the progressive left. Mm-hmm. The upside of the progressive left. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good things that can be said about the progressive left, but so there's too many. Downside. There's too many excesses, that, yeah. and you can talk about the downside of the progressive left. Mm-hmm. But I can look at the upside of the right. Yes, and their focus on heritage and um, law and order Keeping and all that stuff is really same. important. But you know, too much of that, there's a downside of that and it runs to too controlled. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. So there's an upside and a downside to left and right. Yeah. And um, to traditional and progressive. And what the post progressive is, is trying to do is acknowledge that all of that is there and advocate for the upside of both positions. Yeah. And stay away from the downside of both positions. Just keeps all the pros in one place. Keep the keep the good stuff going, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um I mean, God bless America. I love America. Yeah. You know? But a thousand percent. I love being American. And I don't I have... Take that to my know, grave. Guns are okay up to a point. Yeah. I mean, there's moderation in everything. For there's... Sure. Um, moderation in everything. I mean, I know we say that, but... I don't know. And I read that... When I read the Beatitudes, because I do come from... I think... I'm not... I'm more of a... See, you, you're too young, but we, you know, years and years ago, we all there was these rubber rubber bracelets. WWJD? What yeah. would Jesus yeah, do? Yeah, right? Well, it was a great question. What would Jesus do? Not what would the Christian theologian do, but what would Jesus do? Yeah. And you go back <laughs> and look at the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 25, and 
and um, that that stuff is you know, it's full of it's full of paradoxes. It's full of dilemmas. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. you got to be able to wrestle with that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's those, you, as soon as you go in there, you get into conundrums. Mm-hmm. It's like listening to a bunch of Zen koans, and you know what's the sound of one hand clapping. So what about the people that um, that just like can't find? The middle ground, like the people who it's it's not a compromised middle ground. Okay, I'm looking for a, a step up Above that really celebrates. Period. Yeah, that t- takes 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 the good of, of all and and tries to stay away from the negative side of both poles. And, um, do, you, do you think that's just educating yourself, or is that do you think that? I think back? enough. I don't think we. I think there are lots of people, or an emerging number of people, that are are starting to think about a post-progressive mm-hmm. worldview. And if it was presented to them more mm-hmm. succinctly, clearly, they would say, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I mean, right now, as I'm talking to you, you kind of get it, right? Yeah. No, I 100%. Right? So, 100%. But, but I do well, understand. It's, it's enough that you that it has some attraction to you. Why don't we just keep the good geared all the bad? Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but it's is, really hard to do that. What is the good and what is the bad? Well, and so I, if you talk to a person on the right, they'll tell you what the bad side of the left is. Yeah. If you talk to a person on the left, a progressive, they'll tell you what the downside of a traditional worldview exactly. is. Yeah. And, and I want to say, yeah, but look at everybody's... There's a downside to every worldview, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and we want to try and find the upside of both and integrate those into a, a whole. Yeah, and that is a more of a post-progressive worldview, so and keep moving towards that. Do you think that's really far down the road till we get to that point, especially with everything um, going on? No, I think what's going on is pushing people towards that. I'm hoping Hopefully. that yeah that. Um, sort of like a catapult that we've been pulled back yep. and at some point somebody's going to cut the rope and boom yeah. we're going to have a leap forward I'm hoping for that whatever that looks like what that's going to look like is I'm hoping something closer to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talked about yeah that's what I'm hoping I hope so yeah and um, but if you study history and developmental theory and how cultures evolve and change and move along, and evolutionary biology, yeah, and all that, where evolutionary culture, evolutionary individual mm-hmm. consciousness, the evolution of individual consciousness. There's all kinds of people studying this stuff, yeah. And um, and there's there's an orderly progression that our consciousness evolves, yeah. our cultures evolve mm-hmm. in a certain direction. We don't go backwards unless we're put under enormous stress. True. And um, and even then, we're we'll we'll be there just for a period of time, generally speaking, and then we want to leap ahead again. Gotcha. So, what do you think is the best mindset to have right now, especially just this post-progressive, I guess, ideology that you've been talking about? Is just think take the goods and throw away the bads, or um, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well. All right. So frame your question again, because the question is, yeah, is really important. Okay. Um, like how? I don't want to say what's the best way, but I guess I could say that. But with everything going on and the uncertainty of the future, like what is the most optimistic way I could be thinking about the outcome of all the recent events? That's a great question. The most optimistic is that 
Um, sorry. <laughs> everything will continue. I'm, I'm going to the transcendentals out of okay. that. Everything will evolve steadily towards goodness, truth, and beauty. I mean, those those are the big three. Yeah. Goodness is is about morality that we'll struggle. We are struggling right now mm-hmm. to redefine morality. What's what is good? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we can talk about goodness. <laughs> where what is true? Yeah. What is truth? I mean, truth has just been slammed. Just absolutely. Truth has been trashed. Yeah. And but but we all have a hunger for finding what's true. True. Yep. Um, we, we can only deny science in front of the COVID nineteen virus for so long. Yeah. And science will prevail. Absolutely. Um, so there's truth that we got to hang. Can't, so you can't beat the scientific method. Good. Well, you you can deny it, but. So goodness, truth, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And that's, I want to, the more your consciousness evolves, the more you are able to find the beauty in the progressive and the traditional worldviews, mm-hmm. um, the, the better off you're going to be. So it's the, it's the constant pursuit. And I do believe the evolutionary process has been towards towards consistently towards goodness truth and beauty certainly we get sidetracked and we get delayed and yeah. we get we get things happen and we get distracted for periods of time but always it's towards goodness truth and beauty and as you and I have talked in the past mm-hmm. the all of this chaos that's going on right now around politics mm-hmm. the economy yep. racism all of this is a is a training ground for how I think um, a training ground in which we can cultivate some skills to help us to deal with the global environmental emer- emergency that we're facing. Because okay. I was going to say, outside of all of this, that's the systems. great equalizer. Yeah, Mother Nature. Mother Nature. Yep. Right. Right. I'm gonna. Um, I'm going to uh, a sign company tomorrow. I'm going to get a sign printed up from my front yard out here that says, "Please vote." Red letters. Whiteboard, yeah, for Mother Earth. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's yeah. the sign I want to put in front of my house. Please vote for Mother Earth. Yeah, and I know you could talk hours about Mother I mean, Nature. Mo- mo- yeah. So talk about your book. What's the title? What is it about? Loving Mother Earth. Loving Mother Earth. Loving Mother Earth. You know, it's um, integrating spirituality and environmentalism, and that's the subtitle. And yeah. um, so, any you know, this is. One of those things where I spent a couple of years thinking about it and, and throwing it past people. You looked at it a year ago, yep. and it's changed right a lot right. since you looked at it. And um, and I'm, what I'm doing is I'm self-publishing the thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to get 500 copies printed and give them out to people. Yeah. And hopefully, I got a website, and so hopefully people will give me some feedback mm-hmm. and engage me in some dialogue and agree and disagree with me and blah blah blah. And then the next time around, I'll it'll be even better. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> right? keep on making. New yeah. Ones. yeah. Well, that's how we. You put it out. You get some feedback. You make a better version. Yeah, exactly. Better version of whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right? I mean, Elon Musk didn't come up with his cars first time out of the shoot. I mean, this it's true. Every, everything is trial and error, and you got to be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So, And in, in your book, it, it talks about the observer witness in more depth. That right? you, right, that... that um, it's, so my, the way I've organized this, and I've, I, there is nothing original with me. I steal from everybody. <laughs> so I talk about um, waking up, 
which is what we're talking. I do remember. Yep. Yep. That's what we're talking about here in terms of of the cultivating your mindful, being mindful, Mm -hmm. your observing witness. That I'm going to wake up through stages of consciousness, and not stages, but states of consciousness. Yeah. So that I'm more awake. I want to wake up. I want to grow up, and I want to um, um, open up. Oh yeah, yeah. I've added an open up. Seeing all this now. Yep. And I want to clean up, and then I want to show up. Yeah. So those are the wake up, grow up, open up, clean up, show up. Yeah. And I can show. And we need people to show up at high levels as soon as possible because this is an emergency. I read in online the other day where it hit over over a hundred. The huge swath of Siberia over a hundred degrees. Wow. Yeah, you think about it. So that's that's melting the permafrost, Jeez. and Lord knows what kind of viruses are stuck down in the permafrost. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's true. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so true. Yeah. So there's stuff that's going to animals are in there. And right now we are in. We have an opportunity to cultivate the, some of the skills, the skills that are going to be necessary for us to deal with the big one, mm. which is apparently not going to be a meteor coming and landing off the Yucatan Peninsula and killing the dinosaurs. It's going to be us heating this place up to the point where it's not sustainable. It's so what I'm saying in my book is Mother Earth is has kind of like sent us to our room and told us, you know, don't yeah. come out until you can straighten up. Yeah. And yeah. that's almost what's happened here with the COVID thing. We've been sent to our room and we got to straighten up. Are we? I don't know. I don't think so. It, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah. We're in the process. Yeah. And, um, you know, so here I'm reading books on racism. White fragility. White fragility. And um, I just got... Stamp from the Beginning. Yeah, that's a big book. Um, Stamp from the Beginning. It's the history of... What's the subtitle? History of... Um, the Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. Right? Yeah, and he's also written a book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which I have up at our shack in the woods, and I'm partway into that already. Gotcha. So it's, I'm trying to awaken myself to the, the, to the, to the soup I'm swimming in, you know? Because yeah. I grew up in a racist community, and I didn't know that until a few years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Love it. I read a book. Uh, Some of my best friends are black. I can't remember the guy's name who wrote the book, but he had written a he had written a book on John Candy, and um, uh, wasn't that Candy John Candy the comedian the big uh, oh yeah oh yeah and, uh, and um, John Belushi. Okay. Two two fat white comedians, both who died of drug overdoses. And so the guy says, well, I kind of used up that genre, so I was wondering, what can I write about in my next book? Yeah. And, he, and he grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, so he went back to wow. Birmingham and got on a school bus and rode back to his old school and went around. And he, and he tells the story in there of there was this guy from St. Louis. I'm, I, I'm not, I may not get all the details right, but in the 19... Um, Early, say around 1950. Yeah, he came up. He, what he did when St. Louis was he, um, as this as I remember the story, he bought 
a field and an old junkyard or something, and he cleaned it all up and started building some really nice houses, a development out there. Yeah. And then he found a poor black family and moved them into downtown St. Louis, yeah. and they started trashing the house and the yard and all that kind of stuff. And then yeah. he went around to all the neighbors and said, the blacks are moving in here, they're going to wreck your neighborhood. Wow. And you better sell your house right now. I can help you do that. And I've got a new development going out here, and you can all move out to my development. Wow. So they started moving out. So he made money when they were selling their houses Holy. to black folks. And then when he was selling his development, okay, so he did this whole so thing. All these inner cities are just, oh, my So he gosh. did that. And then. Um, this isn't redlining. This, oh, man, this was. More and then he put on seminars all over the country on how to do this. Wow. So there was this guy, Mr. Levitt, um, who built Levittown, Long Island, where I grew up, yeah. in Levittown, Pennsylvania. And that's exactly what he did. Mr. Levitt built a... Because I didn't know this until I read this book. And um, this proves wow. the point. You don't know... You know, the fish doesn't know what water is. Yeah. So I am grew up in Levittown where... It was that's a, crazy. It was a potato field. Mr. Levitt built all these houses. My best friends were Jewish, but there were no people, no black people in our yep. community. Um, and uh, and, it, and it, they had it all set up so that uh, um, you, it, you couldn't sell your house to a black person. There were, it was against the law. I mean, it was really, really, yeah. yeah. I can't remember the details, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was done intentionally. And I remember, oh I remember my dad speaking out against it. He was a minister there at the church, and one of the churches in Levittown. And wow. And um, but now I look back on that. So, you know, I didn't know I, I grew up in an active community. Yeah, I didn't geez. know that until I read it on page ninety-nine of some of my best friends are black. That's the title wow, of the book. That's wild. So. That causes you to stop and think, okay, what's, you know, how now shall I live, right? Yeah. And it's crazy that, like, none of that is taught in in elementary school, middle school, high school, none of this. And even when it was talked about, like, redlining, I remember the word redlining. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember in depth, like, I do when I go and listen to a podcast about, like, racism. Or I've mm-hmm. seen the, the documentary, The 13th. Have you seen that? No. It's a bit about the 13th Amendment and okay. racism in America and mass incarceration, all this stuff. But, like, after actually educating my stuff, it's, like, crazy because, like, some populations in America have never been great. And Trump's has his whole campaign about make America great again. You know, for some people, it just has never been great. No. And learning about the stuff is, like, the most mind-boggling, mind-boggling thing I've been the, through. And sure. I, it is trying to understand... Because now marriage and family therapy, which is my primary discipline, right, mm-hmm. is different than psychology, which is working on individual psychology. If you're doing clinical psychology, yeah, yeah. and it's different than social work, because in marriage and family therapy, we're working with systems. So I got an appreciation for systems, and they have a life of their own. And systemic racism, I, I can, I can, I can intuit it. Could you define define that, by the way? Define what? Like systemic racism. Ugh. What is your definition? I, I'd have can to. You? Um, no, I can't. I would have to. Right now, I'm still looking at. Hey, maybe again, both these books. Let me see here. Let's see if this. She. Uh, I was pretty impressed with this. Robin D'Angelo. If you, anybody wants to get a read this book, because she's a white gal who is, does um, diversity training in corporate America and so on. Wow. And she's. And white fragility, and I've I kind of the name of the book. White fragility. White fragility. I moved beyond 
Um, see, I, I should have a yeah, you don't have a tape of context here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just defer. Let somebody else think about that definition of systemic racism. It's you got to tell stories to start to identify systemic racism. There's systems that keep people down. Yep. I mean, it's they just keep people down. Yeah. And uh, keep the poor poor, keep the rich rich. Right. And um, and it's. Right, we just have to dial into it. So, where was I going to go with that? White, the fragility thing is really interesting because as I was reading this, I was thinking about I'm fragile around a lot of stuff, not just being accused of being a racist, which is kind of what she's saying when you white people mean, you know, I'm not excluding myself from any of this, that when you get challenged with. Um, being a with racism or being a racist yeah. behaviors or whatever, we get real super defensive, yeah. and, 100%. Um, and that off. puts black folks feeling bad. Everybody ends. I mean, we you know it seizes up the conversation and everything, mm-hmm. and how to deal with your own fragility. So that's kind of like having a fragile ego or. Yep. You know, where you where we get triggered and we get defensive. And so I've been on a mission for some years. I'm trying to pay attention to when am I reactive? Yeah. What and I'm an entrepreneur and I've discovered I'm reactive when my forward momentum is thwarted. I hate uh, it. I hate it. When you're slowed down? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, when I get just blocked, you know, and I joke with people in my office about I have the Antichrist in my office. Says yeah. yeah, says HP on it, which is not higher power. It's Hewlett Packard. Yeah, when that son of a bitch doesn't work, <laughs> you know, yeah. my forward momentum gets stopped and yeah. I get all worked up. But I can get worked up about other stuff, you know, and forward momentum mm-hmm. is uh, thwarted, and um, so I'm fragile around that. Yeah, no, I'm fragile. Is. I'm fragile as a white person. I don't want. I, I don't want to. Do racist things, but I'm a doofus like a lot of other people. And I think, but I think the other thing is like, I don't want to say I'm not gonna say me our entire generation, but I think people are starting to get a little bit softer now, um, regarding just like anything. Like people are a lot more emotional because they can say a lot more on their Instagram page that they made up and have some fake profile and. Um, people are more sensitive to things I feel like is, is that would you say would you kind of agree with say, say some more for me okay, so that people are being more sensitive I think people are a lot more sensitive I think people because they have the freedom to to say whatever they want on social media for example mm-hmm. that means people can be more aggressive and then that makes in person interactions a lot less um, real I guess you would say mm-hmm. and I think um a lot of people like like you can't there's like even on TikTok for example for me for TikTok um, you probably don't use TikTok but I know you're right my age I don't TikTok. use TikTok but like people will I, I played golf in 1974 and it took me four hours I, <laughs> I, I find things that I don't do them anymore yeah well like TikTok like people will post a video and they'll have a joke for example and the joke won't have there will not be like um, any specific purpose behind someone saying um, like some well, sorry someone will say a joke and then someone else from either that's um, 
the opposite sex or a different race will say like this is racist or this is sexist when the person who posted it did not mean to do that at all intentionally does that make sense now? yeah well it makes sense sure and yeah. it still may have been even though it was not someone's conscious exactly intent. yeah so that could be and so maybe what I hear you saying is um well, and Brene Brown is a, a, a very popular writer these days and she talks a lot about shame and vulnerability mm-hmm. and more more of us may be more vulnerable or yeah. we're we're doing bullshit to try and not be vulnerable yeah exactly right we're making up stuff we're fabricating this that and yeah. the other thing we're being our false self we're putting our false self out mm-hmm. there instead of our real self yeah so being with relationships where people can be their real self yeah that's what a healthy person is somebody that can be their real self with others mm-hmm if you're your real self and nobody wants to be and they're around consistent you, all the yeah, time with their personality working at it yeah yep. there's some stability to their person mm-hmm. their presentation yep. their thought processes yeah um, yeah so we're trying to live vulnerably exercise you know be aware that we're fragile and figure out how to be mindful of that observe what's going on and kind of calm down and be able mm-hmm. to act out of that and uh, in a non-defensive non-reactive way yeah and so Receive it, reflect on it, and respond. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Um, how are we doing here? Well, I was gonna say, do you have any anything else you want to touch on? Specific? I'm good. How, what kind of how much time we're we at? Here? Uh, about to be forty one. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I like. Is that. this all right? Yeah. That's what great. would you like to say? Oh, well, I mean, I uh, these conversations, especially with you, like I know this is the only time we recorded, but like every time you talk to me, I always take. So much. You do. It. You retain stuff that I, you talk about. Yes. And you'll come back to me a year later and say, "You know, that was an important conversation exactly. we had." Last year. <laughs> yeah, because you like have such a strong influence in like the way you articulate your words. It's just like I'm so glad we're doing this podcast because I hope like people listening right now got the way I t- articulate my words. Yes. Can you tell I come from the joys? Ideas. I want the oh. joys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but is there anything else? Where we say? drink coffee. Coffee. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, nothing else you want to say? No, nah, I'm good. All right. I love you. Love you too, man. Um, <clears throat> you're listening to the youth. My name is Tosh Francois. Thank you for tuning in.